there's an article about this tramp stamp band that I am fascinated by. George is, is shaking his head, half disgusted, half confused because just he clearly completely didn't confused. read the article. Didn't read the article that I sent over. Um, I did read it. I, I skimmed it. So it's it's this band made up of um, three. It's three women that I think are like mid twenties, already have success as writers in the music industry, and just started decided to start this kind of pop punk type band because that sound is coming back. Um, like Jimmy Eat World. No, I mean. Did you listen to the the last Machine Gun Kelly record? No. Why are you obsessed with Machine Gun Kelly? This is the second time I brought him up. No. I brought him up before because it felt because I was experiencing the phenomenon of cycles of the music I listened to in middle school and high school coming back again. Um, and this band Tramp Stamp is another. I mean, it's totally Blink-182 type stuff. Um and it's but kind it's, of Carly's gym. Have you heard this tramp stamp, Carly? I'd actually never heard of them before. Dan shared this. But isn't that kind of your jam too? Like the, didn't you isn't that your like doesn't that go back to your cycle? Tramp stamps, yeah. If there was a Venn diagram. No, 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 no. Blink one eighty two pop pop punk emo stuff. Yes, I'm sure Carly has points of reference for this band. Uh we've we've talked about taking back Sunday and, and all that stuff. Uh but I feel like this band did nearly everything not everything right they did a lot of things right and they did a few things wrong and it's just cascading on them because they're they're successful female writers that decided they wanted to start a pop punk band um their music i it's difficult for me to be the one to say but seems kind of um not necessarily female empowerment but kind of like the the WAP song, right, Cardi B, it's it's along that lines of taking sexuality back as a as a woman. And I think there's something to be celebrated in that. Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side is Dr. Luke appears to be involved. Oh. Uh, um, he right. runs the publishing company that two of them are signed to. I think that's what the situation is. Um, and yeah. they say that everything they do, they, they wrote all the songs together. They even produced and mixed it themselves and they've got a college friend that does all the graphic design for them so they they say it's all in-house um and i I, i'm inclined to believe them although that's the kind of thing that is someone could easily lie about i guess um but it looks so professional i think and it came out of nowhere um that people are calling them industry plants and like oh "Oh, you are people that were um, that either bought your way into the industry or your dad is someone that can get you in, that kind of thing. Um, and there's a lot of hate going on about the band. Um, and I, I've been trying to understand why, because I was thinking of uh, industry plant bands, you know, bands that are cr- like Backstreet Boys, In Sync, One Direction, uh, yeah. you know, these have, I mean, they've all gotten some hate, of course, but not at this level. And so it's, mm-hmm. and of course, you'll notice I've mentioned all bands that are all male, right? Mm-hmm. And so well, Spice Girls. I don't know anything about the formation of that band. Were they? They were a construct. They were a construct. D- Destiny's Child. I don't know. I don't think so. I think Destiny's Child was. No, Destiny's Child started pretty organically. Yeah. 
the the issue, the reason they're um, getting attacked is people are saying there's a lack of authenticity. The fact that these girls have had success, and I, I think there's some angle of they're they're releasing music that is in a genre that mm. usually mm. comes from some grittier kind mm -hmm. of background rather than we're already successful and we're going to take on this sound and they kind of jumped into it with the professionalism of a band that is already successful has a team of social media experts and i i, I genuinely think they're just good at what they do um but they've because of that they've they've skipped over the sharing their personality, giving some, yeah, and they, they've done yeah. some kind of like behind the scenes stuff, but it was maybe just too much too quickly. And that caused people to be skeptical. And I don't know about, uh, they, they formed their own label, but you never know who they're a subsidiary of, or they're doing a JV with someone and have a bunch of money for it. Um, but it's, it's shocking to me, like how aggressive people turned against it. And it's, just in the TikTok era, you know, ignoring the kind of, it's a, it's a, band of, of three women you know is it just people expect authenticity if you're going to do something that is not super clean pop top 40 stuff do you have to have some some bona fide some some background that is going to support that um but it's i mean it makes you think anyone that's trying to break a an artist that would be popular with the tiktok crowd you know, all of a sudden it, it's like, you can't just, you can't go all in. You really have to build into that gradual journey and empower the artist to be themselves. And that's, that's, mm -hmm. I would say anyone that's signing an artist right now, you need to be looking at, is this artist personable? Are they, are they like a real person that can be authentic and people will relate to, you know, regardless of the music, just on a personal level. Cause in, you know, should you not sign assholes that make amazing music because people are going to butcher them? Uh, well, I think a few things came up for me because, like I said, I had never heard of Tramp Stamps before you shared this article. But I was actually thinking about writing a piece about influencer avatars because, like, that's a new thing as well. Like, little Michaela, like these, like, they're not real people and right, they're presented right. as, like, and I find it really interesting and I don't really know how I feel about it, which is why I want to why I want to write an article. And so when I saw this, it reminded me of that this like question of authenticity. But does it actually matter? Like if you like Little Michaela's music, does it matter that she's AI essentially? With this group, I do find it interesting, and I think you're right that if it wasn't like pop punk, it might have been better received if they were just like pure pop. But trying to like say that they come from maybe a more like alternative or gritty scene. But in the article, there is some interesting stuff. Like um, I went to their website. They have a very nice web. Like that's a professionally designed website. They have like a very robust merch store. They mm -hmm. have what it appears like a social media team. Their first post, I, th I can't remember. It's like their first post on TikTok was like a, um, let me see if I can find it. Apparently, it's one of the girls' friends from college that does all their graphics and stuff for them. Yeah. But, and that's the thing where it's, it, it looks amazing. So that person could be fantastic at their job and is doing their friends a favor, or that could be cover for we've got 10 people and a bunch of money. You know? Yeah, it's true. I I think 
I don't know, it, it is kind of interesting. And then the Dr. Luke affiliation obviously is problematic. And I didn't know that he has a pseudonym that he works under. I learned that in this article too, Tyson Tracks, which some artists are still working with because his name has obviously rightly so been very tarnished. But I think you're right too. Like if it was maybe a different genre or if it was men or boys, like that probably would have been better received. But I do think that there is a lot about authenticity, even in that Spotify, like key takeaway, the report that I did a summary of, that was a big thing that was mentioned. Gen Z is very focused on authenticity. They don't want to feel like you're as a brand or a company pulling one over on them. Like they're much more aware. And I think that they are very sensitive to what feels like a very contrived message or marketing plan or whatever they they really reject that so i think there might be like a little bit of a perfect storm with pieces of all of these elements adding to the backlash but now i'm just curious to see more from them to see if that is because i think it would become pretty obvious eventually if they were really a industry plant but i think the article makes a pretty good argument that they are well, but I guess defining industry plant, like there are three successful songwriters that decided to make a band and, you know, assuming that they did get money from someone or they, they formed their own label as a subsidiary of a larger label. That is not a bad thing, in my no, opinion. It's not. Right? It's just that's, about being upfront about it, though. That, I think that's the problem is the authenticity angle. I mean, they, they, they kind of need to own it i don't know yeah and it's i think it's tough i mean it's there's there's so much respect for diy bands that are like playing basement shows and stuff and that are really bootstrapping it um and that's where that sound and, and that whether it's punk or shoegaze or all these different kind of genres that are never going to be mainstream um there's a lot of respect for that. And even like Phoebe Bridgers, right? I mean, she did not have a, or from what I can tell, did not seem to have like a, um, a troubled child. She went to an arts school for high school and stuff. She had, she definitely had some privilege, um, but she gets a lot of respect. Right. And um, so I, I don't think it's, oh, these are three privileged girls because other Lana Del Rey, right. There's a lot of, people from privilege that go on to make great music and get a lot of respect. And so it's difficult for me to pin it on, Oh, this person's mom is the president of Interscope or something. And they're just, it seems like they've, they've earned their shot. It's just a, a poor execution. George, you're shaking your head a lot. I'm no, I'm listening. I, I love this. And I don't, it's, I'm trying to reckon. I mean, a lot of things going through my brain. I, I, at the end of the day, the art has to be good. Right. Or, yeah. you know, and that's a subjective thing, obviously, but you know, um, I mean, Led Zeppelin was a was a construction, right? I mean, Jimmy Page was very, very clearly looking to do something. He found the right people, and um, Nirvana, Kurt Cobain, you know, they, they fired uh, Chad or whatever his name was, and 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 he went, he went and found uh, Jack and Dino, who had produced the Mud Honey records, and literally moved from Evergreen, Washington, to. Uh, Seattle and 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 sent just hundreds of demos around. Um, I hate this band, but but the Smashing Pumpkins they were they were signed to Virgin, but Caroline put put them out because it gave them a veneer of of indie cred. My label, Slow River, the, like the major I I in, in many respects 
got my start because I was putting out weird little obscure records and then the, the world changed and you know they were like oh well we can't put we can't put sparkle horse or whatever out on capital let's have george do it and i was like okay because the art was good you know and and um and in the privilege thing i don't know go back to that jeff tweedy book uh, his biography not the one about the writing of the song or whatever but the the one before it and and where he's in rehab and he's beating he's like he's he's in a hardcore rehab and he you know by his own admission came from a you know fairly middle class whatever working class thing and he's surrounded by people that that had a vastly you know objectively more challenging upbringing and he was beating himself up about like i don't i shouldn't be you know you guys had it so much harder and someone came up to him just like rip shit mad he's like look dude my issues are my issues. Your issues are your issues. They're not, you know? And so what are you going to do? Like, I mean, it's, 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 you're born Edgar Bronfman's kid or whatever. Like, you know, what, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, it, it's, you're going to, I think it becomes, and you're both kind of saying like, you could own it, but do you have to, do you have to be like, yeah, my mom is what, I mean, it's like, make your fucking music, you know, and, and the market will sort of decide. I, I It's all too, I'm not smart enough. It's all too. I I don't. You guys are both acting like you can just you can can contrive these things. You kind of can't, right? I mean, you can look at the Backstreet Boys and you can look at NSYNC or Spice Girls or whatever. Those are the exceptions. Like the number of people who have tried to put together kind of bands and and leverage their their associations and their connections and their whatever. And I mean. It, it almost never happens. And, and if you think other people haven't tried to replicate the, the you know, the, the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, it, that's all people do. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I mean, like that is a model, but it's, it's really hard. The monkeys, right? The monkeys were a complete studio creation, right? To, but some of the songs are fucking great. BTS. Yeah, BTS. Menudo, right? I mean, there's a, there's a long history of this. And every once in a while, you know, the art kind of transcends the contrivance. Most of the time, the, the art doesn't and the contrivance doesn't matter. Right. Like you can have all of the connections in the world and it can give you an initial leg up and all of these things. And you can have all the money behind it in the world. It, it rarely is the dispositive element. It might give you a jump start, but I, I would I would really argue to for people to point me out somebody that 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 has had an enduring career because their mom is Julie Greenwald or something like that. That's not, you know, yeah, you can get kind of the start, but then eventually it doesn't it levels out and there are people i mean think about like the, the steely dan guys or whatever they're pretty privileged dudes or whatever they met at, 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 at uh what was it uh, bard or whatever college you know but they just made great fucking music I, I i don't know or the mgmt guys like they just yeah they're they're upper middle class dudes that met at whatever hampshire college or whatever and just make great fucking music and that's no more or less relevant than the ramones who were like you know also kind of a contrivance right johnny had a pretty clear image and and and, and what's his name um, the uh, 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 the producer um i know his real name but uh, i can't remember whatever i mean and but i mean you know joey ramone who's who died uh, his birth date of his death or birth or whatever it was last week but I mean, those guys and Dee Dee, like they, they, it's a miracle that those guys could get out of bed in the morning. But they, you know, the art 
you know, transcended. They were not people of privilege. And so I, I don't know. I get I get the emotion, but I think there's a certain degree of of people on the sidelines going, oh, well, the only reason they did it was because, you know, they, they have a connection or whatever. Yeah, that may have helped them at the beginning. I don't think it keeps you keeps you around. Um, like it, it, I think art. it is the beginning for them, and that they've got two songs out, and so it's it's very a um, immediate reaction to what they to what they released. Uh, and you know, going back to what you were talking about with the indie cred based on the label that you're on, um, one of the not great responses that Tramp Stamp said to them being an industry plant is like. He said, no, we're distributed by AWOL, which is artists without a label. So Cobalt, clearly we're independent. Sony, and right? I was just like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but and it's it's also interesting because um, the difference between a label and a publisher is not obviously not something that the general public understands. And so everyone is attacking them for them having publishing deals, Come but on. conflating that with what a label is and saying, oh, They've got these these big companies behind them, um, and so it's just interesting to see that kind of discussion come out, um, you know, via fifteen year old TikTok commentators. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it could get could just kind of get. I think where it goes off the rails is is it can get kind of gross, and this is this is at the be, this is the nature of the music industry and of art it it can get kind of gross when it feels like or not kind of it gets completely gross when it feels that the art is subservient to the business model Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like and you see that billy corrigan like you see that with with people where it's like you're just a schemer like you're just you you've just decided you're going to mold yourself into whatever you think will sell the most records. There's no authenticity. And people do recognize that. People, and that's where, and, but, but you shouldn't just prima facie, just because somebody has a publishing deal or a major label deal or their parents or whatever, or they went to people love a conspiracy. Harvard or whatever. Well, they love, they love figuring out, they love putting, yeah, you're right, conspiracy. They love connecting a dot to something that they can't understand. Well, why does this person have a deal in popularity and I don't? Ah. It's because they they all this privilege. The, the grossness is where it's just you're not an artist, man. You're a business person. You are you are leveraging your art. I mean, it's like when when I mean, it's why people struggle with like Bono and stuff, right? Because like at one point it was like, no, you're kind of singing from the heart, but now you're just you're just like the wizard behind the curtain. And and um, I think that's the gross thing. And I think I think people have an inherent bias. Against, I think that's one of the problems with the NFTs. Like people are just like, oh, there's no actual art here. It's just you're just contriving. You're just m- m- you know manipulating the market. And, and I don't think as humans we, we like that so much. Well, I don't know, though, and I don't know how big of a of an issue the Dr. Luke tie is here, but that is problematic. If you are saying that you're self-made, if if you if you discovered this like new indie darling director who said that they were like totally self-made and approaching things in a totally unique lens and then found out that actually it was entirely backed and funded by Weinstein. That's problematic. Like if they're, if they actually are tied to someone like Dr. Luke and they're not saying it, that in itself I think is, is very problematic. Like there's certain people that artists 
actors, whatever, just in business and in life and the arts should no longer be working with. And so the doc, and I don't know how much of a problem the Dr. Luke connection is because I don't know much about this, this story, but that is the biggest problem that I see in this and not so much about like the privilege or whatever, but it's, if you have someone like Dr. Luke behind you that is helping you craft a message and you're saying that you're like, because he's problematic, that's the thing. Yeah, so that's what I want to get clarity on. Like, I mean, you're saying that not because he's a, a successful producer, but because of the whole Kesha thing. And, and because and, it is Dr. Luke, got exactly. It, got it. Because I mean, like, if you like, I don't know if it. I mean, taking let, let, let's say Sophia. But I don't Coppola. know if that's what people are also upset about. That's something that I see, and also in this Verge article. Like Sophia Coppola, I think is is unquestionably a great. I was thinking direct. of the Coppolas. Yeah, She's a great like, director, right? Like in in, yeah. in her in some of her movies are great, some are not great, but but on balance, she's a great director. And, and did it help that her dad is one of the greatest directors of all time? Of course. But does that take away from the art that is The Virgin Suicides or any number of other movies that she's made? I don't no. think so. I was thinking of Coppola also with this, actually. And I don't like the privilege thing. I, I do see that the authenticity is a big thing, particularly for Gen Z. If you say that you're like, you know, you've come from nothing and you're totally self-made and you're the one calling the shots and then you ha clearly have a big media team, a social media team behind you and designers and everything feels really crafted. I could see that that would be annoying. But I, for me, the if you're like an industry plant and it's Dr. Luke putting you there, that that the problem for me is Dr. Luke, just like it would be, I don't care if there's a new indie darling that actually has ties to the Coppola family. But if they have ties to the Weinstein family and they're not disclosing yeah, but that's that, a problem that's problematic. That looks, so do you not watch Reservoir Dogs? Do you not watch Pulp Fiction? Do you not watch all? I mean, they the, the Weinstein. I mean, he's well, it's a like Dan absolute. Said at the fucking, beginning, it is hard to separate. But I think like Woody Allen movies shouldn't be watched anymore. Yeah, Shelf I can't. I can't. Yeah, I just I can't. He's the main person behind it. Like. Yeah. Harvey Weinstein had so much impact on so many movies. If you took that entire catalog away, that's a little bit more complicated because, you know, like he's not writing it or directing it like the or maybe they're like the, the production company or whatever. But um, someone like Woody Allen, where it's like you're writing, directing it, you're the face of it. That's a lot easier for me to say no more Woody Allen movies. Well, plus watch Manhattan. I mean, it's like it was all happening kind of in plain sight, right? Like, I mean, the the the, the typical Woody Allen trope is that death. But I tell you, like, I, I, I couldn't sleep last night. I was listening. I mean, there's the whole Scott Rudin thing that came out. And, and, and I mean, he's responsible for so many movies. And then I was reading. I haven't the, heard uh, about this. Oh, Google Scott Rudin. Um, and, and, and then there's a, uh, um, fuck, what's his name? He was one of the founders of CAA. And it's, I mean, and he was a, you know, just like always viewed to be this absolute minch. And, and, you know, it's like, I don't know where this ends. Like it's, it's, it's the, the, the arts and the power quote, quote unquote, powerful men leveraging their power for sex or whatever gets them off you know and then in exchange for for um uh you know parts for it's just it's it's so endemic that you know i'm trying to find the find the thing but um it, it's just so endemic that i don't know i don't know where we even okay yeah so it's there's a new story out the actress who took down two hollywood moguls um it's a crazy article. I was listening to it at like four in the morning. 
in it, and there's this one executive, Ron Meyer. So Ron Meyer, who was one of the heads of CAA, he's one of those guys that 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 historically has been like just had a sterling reputation. Um, the guy that that would stay calm in the room and and could solve any problem at any time. And well, <laughs> I'll let you all come to your own conclusions. But I think it's a cool article. I, I love this topic. I I, I do go. I do go to the idea of, I mean, taking the the gen. I don't know that you can, but but the the taking the gender politics and stuff, just not not putting it aside, but just just suspending it for one second. Like any artist, any business person, anyone who aspires to do something, if your if your success depends upon some third party, whether that's having a, a parent at a label or or whatever you'll die on the vine waiting you have to you have to remove that and you have to remove that level of kind of bitterness oh well this person's only succeeding because of this other thing that may be true but if that's not your reality thinking and worrying about that matters not at all and and all it does is it becomes self-defeating you get super bitter like you you have to you have to remove contingencies and some of us and i say this fully cognizant that that i am a white male that wanders through the world easier than everyone else um but but you know we all have different advantages and, and disadvantages but but making excuses for why somebody else succeeds and why you don't is is a non-value-adding process it'll it'll just make totally you really agree bitter. with that yeah. totally hmm. and it's not it's not as easy as just having a a sibling or whatever in the business as i say that will give you a leg up potentially it often comes with other unexpected or unintended downfalls right i mean i think of pete yorn like pete yorn's a really 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 good songwriter and he's had a really good career but he always has hanging over him the fact that his brother is a massive agent and open doors from jacob dylan right um he's a really decent songwriter his dad is Bob Dylan. I had the good fortune to work with with Carly Simon. Her kids, Ben and Sally, really, really, really good artists. But when your parents are James Taylor and Carly Simon, yeah, you get a lot of doors open, but you're also greedy. I, I remember going to see Sally perform years and years ago, and she was great, you know? And then she got off stage, and all, and, and just like the entire audience came up to her holding pictures of her mom and dad asking her to sign it. And she eventually was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Because all they wanted was this photo of Carly and James or whatever with their kid's signature on it so they could sell it on eBay. Like that, and so sure, Sally Taylor had lots of doors open for her, but how does she ever, you know, so I don't know. It's not just the doors are open also. I feel like those are your parents and that's the environment that you grow up in. You're going to be exposed to a different level of art and be encouraged to explore that. Whereas if like you want to be an artist and your parents are both brain surgeons, you're probably not going to be in an environment that really fosters your creativity and allows you to hone it and to see your art as something valuable. So I think... It's that's why I don't I don't fault people for coming from a, a place of privilege. I mean, privilege is being able to explore the things you want to explore and being supported and doing that, whether it's soccer or music or law. Like for, that's what I think is like that's privilege when when you are given the space as a child and and you're supported to pursue your own interests. And if that's something that you're lucky enough to have, that's great. I don't think that you're by default like less talented because you were supported in pursuing whatever it was that your family 
or like, you know, friends or whatever the environment was that you grew up in. The the only thing that I think is like, if you're, if you're not being honest, why? And yeah, if, yeah. if there is something more insidious happening, like behind the scenes, then that's problematic, of course. But I don't think that it's like, well, your parents were rich, so you're not actually talented. I think it could be the opposite. I mean, nature and nurture both at play there. You, you come from a talented family. It's not unlikely that you would have similar talents. But yeah, I just think if you're hiding something, the question is why you're hiding it. And when there's someone like Dr. Luke involved, that's where I have an alarm bell that goes. Yeah, understandable. I, I would say that the, the innovation, and I, I'll go to my grave, not just saying this, but knowing it, innovation comes from the margin and the marginalized, right? So so if, if you are if you are Sophia Coppola's, if you're Sophia Coppola, if you are Ben Taylor, if you're whatever, I would say it's it's hard if not impossible for you to actually innovate you can iterate but i think it's really hard to innovate i don't think i don't think that like really sui generis kind of you know innovations come from those types of lineages martin amos and kingsley amos like it's it's iterative it's not zero to one and uh, i bet there are counterexamples of that but I'd, I'd like to find them i think it's it's almost always of the margin on the margin and by the marginalized for real innovation punk rock disco you know hip-hop yeah totally trace cositas trace amigos see that's problematic right like what is what is like spain what are all like the romance languages going to do how are they addressing pronouns and stuff because like like if i say trace if there are the three of us i'm supposed to say like grammatically trace amigos right because there are two men and one woman on this call but like that's shitty yeah. right like so how do they do that like like in in english i'd be like okay the three of us or whatever but it's non-gendered us is a non-gendered it's an interesting question i've never thought about that but it's i mean so baked in right it's like they, they yeah, give... exactly like the sun is masculine and yeah right it's kind of difficult to comment on that without being in the culture, though. It's like, yeah. no, I'm not commenting on it. I just, I don't know what are they going to do? Well, yeah, it's like an American or English lens on. Yeah, kind of, but like I dig Latinx. Like I dig that as a as a way to solve that, where you don't say Latino or Latina. You say, and now I see even something. What is it that I have to do? Maybe it's with COVID. They say MX George Howard. And I think the X is if I if I if I identified as as non-binary or not, you know a woman or whatever, then then I I get to decide what that X is. I think that, but like I don't I don't know how you do that with baked in language. Spanish, you have usted, and that doesn't necessarily have a gender. But then in French, it is always il or elle. This is the type of shit I think about. Why don't you kick us off, George? No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> My first thing is a quote from the late great. Kurt Vonnegut, nobody will stop you from creating. Do it tonight. Do it tomorrow. That is the way to make your soul grow. The kick of creation is the act of creating, not anything that happens afterward. I would tell all of you watching this screen, before you go to bed, write a four-line poem. Make it as good as you can. Don't show it to anybody. Put it where nobody will find it, and you will discover that you have your reward, which is exactly what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, where it's like, we get the dopamine from the writing. But in order to sustain it, you got to get it out there. But I love that. Like, do it tonight. 
I just love that. All right. Uh, my second cosita is um, the conversation that the three of us had with Adam um, about B Corps, right? And 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 Carly, I just the way you ran that meeting was fucking awesome too. Like you know, you're, you're just a master at like running meetings. And but um, but Adam's research, like it really, it made me, it made me like talking through something that's been in my brain forever. Like really, what what is the benefit that GHS supplies beyond like what is the purpose, not product? And I know we haven't solved it, but like me, me kind of hearing you all talk and listening, I was able to go, oh, I know what it is. It's, it's that, that we, we try to teach within the companies that we're, we're working so that those people that are there, particularly younger people or whatever, can, can learn a set of skills that, that will serve them well even after we're gone. Like, I don't know if that will qualify us as a B Corp. I hope it does. But like that, that made me feel it just brought a tremendous amount of clarity. So I'm really grateful to you, Carly, Dan, and Adam for, for that call. I love that this week. Um, the third is this book that, um, I'm not sure where I found it, but it's called The Moral Economy, Why Good Incentives Are No Substitute for Good Citizens. And I think I'm going to adopt it for one of my ethics uh, classes. But um, it, it's really good because like we, we, we tend to, I think, oversimplify um, incentives, right? It's always like a carrot or a stick, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and Dude says that, um, since we kind of framed up this idea of homo economicus, right, which is like an amoral and self-interested, like Milton Friedmanite construct, like Friedman's, like you know the the, the duty of, of the corporations to to increase shareholder value, like let and, and, and Friedman gets you know probably an appropriately bad rap, but um, but I think at his core he was saying only then can you depoliticize it, but of course he was horribly wrong, and and the people that didn't understand it. Um, well, have adopted only the, the worst parts of that, you know, which is like, oh, you know, money, Uber all is, and we're all just driven by money and incentives. And, and, and economists love that. They love to just think of it. And the thesis of this book is that like, well, that's flawed because when we attempt to like govern or coordinate purely based on monetary rewards and punishment, ethical and generous motives that are kind of baked into humans, and he uses this great term, get get crowded out. And so the example that probably everyone's heard is um, a, a school was having a problem with parents dropping their kids off late. So they, they put a fine in for tardiness. And, and the unintended consequence was lateness increased because now the parents saw the lateness is, is like ratified and they could calculate a minimal economic pain against, against what they valued more, which was being late, and it crowded out the civic, no, you should just show up on time because that's the right thing to do. It crowded that out of the equation. And so I really love this because he's basically saying we have to think less carrot stick simplistic incentives, but also weave in social norms. And, um, you know, I mean, I, it, it's, it's one of those things that I don't know that it deserves like a 300-page a, a book. Um, but it's a really, really interesting concept and one I wrestle with all the time because I do believe incentives will get you a long way. But I don't think they get you over the finish line. And I also think it's redemptive from the perspective of humans that, that many of us humans, not all of us, but many of us are kind of guided by the interoperability of, of kind of the Kantian ethic, which is let's let's try to make it easier for all right and so if you're purely incentive based and purely binary i win you lose zero sum that's that's not working and, and in my my more optimistic moments what's happening with kind of web 3 could could go around there too so there may be some degree of me just trying to like confirmation bias but it, it's an interesting book for anybody that's interested in kind of economics generally so that's it for me and my things i do them fast because i'm awesome I, I like that all three of my things this week touch back to something that someone has previously mentioned. So I'm, mm. I'm feeling excited, so. but, um, 
Go, go, go. First is a B Corp. There you go. Uh, oh, yeah. Someone somewhere. They are a clothing brand that I've been buying my masks from. I've just ordered a few t-shirts from. But they hire artisans in some of Mexico's poorest states and pay them higher wages than what would otherwise be available to them. And 98% of the artisans are women. Um, and each clothing item has a badge sewn on the inside that says someone, and then the artisan writes their name, and somewhere, and the artisan writes the town that they call home. Oh, it's amazing. And so oh, I love that. Yeah, it's something pretty cool. cool. It's awesome. How did you find them? Instagram ad. There you go. <laughs> By the sword. The targeting works. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And my next two are about Job, or rather, Will Arnett. (laughs) The the book of Job. (laughs) Job, Yeah. Um, So the first is uh, Flaked, which is the Netflix series that he he wrote and starred in. Um, That was super depressing, right? Was that the one where he's like a recovering alcoholic and living in the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I couldn't make it more than a couple episodes. Go ahead. So I'd missed the second season of it, but I'd watched the first season a while ago. So now I'm rewatching the first and going into the second. Um, It's it's hugely critically panned. It's like 35% on Rotten Tomatoes. But I think it's great. I think it's really, really well done. There's great balance of drama and and humor um and it's it's i read about his experience filming it um because he it's about an alcoholic that killed someone 10 years ago drunk driving and now they run their local alcoholics anonymous in um in venice and he kind of interacts with community and then there's a new character that comes in and it kind of builds this whole plot with a few twists and turns but um it's I, i don't believe Will Arnett has killed someone but it, it's kind of built on his experience um, going through sobriety and filming it uh, it happened actually during his divorce with Amy Poehler and he jumped off the wagon he started drinking again while filming the show about it um, and I, I just I just think it's so well done and I, I don't I don't understand why it was panned so hard aside from maybe that I mean it's, it's definitely offbeat and and depressive but i don't think it's bad by any stretch um and it's for a guy that is so has so many goofy roles it's it shows a lot of depth and i I read a couple interviews um, about him talking about the show and it's the way he's he's kind of accepted that um critics don't like it and He's like, hey, they just don't get it, and it it was difficult to make, but it meant a lot. And if mm. he has the opportunity to season three, he'd he'd welcome it. But it, that there was that a very weird, like deep level of acceptance that was, I don't know, I don't know if it's just like maturity or whatever. But that was something that I I don't see a lot of for someone to have like their passion project to get shut down, and for them to have this zen about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, granted that was, that was like three years ago or whatever the season two came out. So he's had time to process, but, um, that was respectable. Um, uh, and the third thing is his podcast with Jason Bateman and Sean Hayes called smartless, uh, which is excellent. Uh, but so the, the concept is, is this the three of them and each week one person invites a guest, but they don't, he doesn't tell the other two who the guest is. 
And so they're kind of caught off guard, and it's, it's usually big names. Um, just a few names that have been on there. Paul McCartney, Julie Louise-Dreyfus, Ricky Gervais, Kamala Harris. They had her on the day before she was announced as Biden's pick for VP, which is pretty cool. Um, and it's definitely, you know, three white dudes hosting what feels like a dad cast. Um, but it's I think they do a good job of having a variety of guests, um, and it's... Uh, it's it's just so um easy to listen to and the the banter is very fun and lightweight and it's uh they seem like good dudes carly all right my turn <laughs> so there is a new netflix show i think it's just four parts this is a robbery about the heist at the isabella stewart gardner museum oh. in 1990 and I recommended the podcast last scene about it as well. But it's cool because I had the good fortune of finally visiting that museum. And which was like, because I'd heard so much about it. And then I listened to the podcast and you can read about it. But it is kind of crazy physically being there. And then they have the empty frames and stuff. But also the Netflix documentary gives a different level of visualization. A lot of the characters, because there's such a crazy cast of like potential people who are involved in this. Um, it's cool actually seeing it in like documentary style, just because some of the people I did obviously Google and stuff as well while listening to the last scene podcast or reading about it. But um, I find it just to be such a fascinating story. And then they have all these really beautiful shots of the museum, which is just like, so stunning from every perspective like the flowers the architecture the art it's so i i was really excited to see that there was a show i don't feel like there's any new information but that's also really crazy that like this heist that happened in 1990 is still unsolved and they talk about it in the show as well like it's so high profile that it would be really difficult also to display or sell these pieces of, of art because it's it would it all the time has passed but it's still such a like um widely talked about heist too so it's not like there was an art heist that happened you know 30 years ago and people forgot about it this has been very present so anyways if you're interested in that story i still recommend the last scene podcast as well but you can watch it on netflix and then I started listening to a new podcast. It's a wondery podcast, I'm 90% sure, called Against the Odds. And I think it does something similar where um, every season is a different story, that kind of thing. This season is about a humanitarian worker. They never name the NGO. They say she was working for an NGO in Somalia that was captured in 2011 by Somali, Somali pirates. It is like watching a movie. It is the most intense podcast hmm. I've ever listened to. What's it called? It is Against the Odds. She was, it's a true story, obviously. Jessica Buchanan and um, her colleague, Paul. I don't know why I know her last name and not his, but um, it happened in 2011. And so it was like, and she was American or she is American, Jessica Buchanan. And then it was a... Scandinavian NGO. So Paul was Danish or Swedish. I can't remember. But the the writing and the sound design and the production quality, it is honestly like watching a movie. It is really intense to listen to. And I 
don't think that I can think of another podcast that has made me wow. feel this way. So. And you're like, I mean, you're the arbiter of podcasts. Like if some, for something to surface up over a year, like, yeah, it's pretty good. Like it has to be really good. No, like I was listening to it in the in the car at some point last week and I was like, this is too intense because like my heart was beating fast and I was like, also, I want to listen Whoa. to this. It's like not a no. good driving podcast. It's like a sit down and, and listen to it as if it's a movie. Like I can't multitask while listening to it. So, and I don't, the, the story doesn't feel familiar to me. I remember like Somali pirates were a big thing for a while, um, which is also just something that blows my mind. But so I don't remember this particular story from a decade ago. Um, but she is, Jessica Buchanan is, they, she's like involved in the podcast. So spoiler alert, I guess she survived. <laughs> but you don't know, like it's so, I'm like every day, or not every day, because I've only listened to however many episodes are out. But you, like, you really don't know what's going to happen. I know now, obviously, because I think she went on to write a book about it and stuff too. But it's just such a wild story. And I think it also resonates with me because the reason that I got into journalism, originally I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. And then when I started um, studying journalism, it was like, oh, I'll die. <laughs> like legitimately. And so I switched my area of focus, but that kind of, of work I've always found just, I don't know, so admirable, so important. The dangers are so real and hearing someone's kind of firsthand story, it's, uh, it's wild. And then my third thing, and we're going to end on kind of a silly note, but um, if you are a fan of Eric Andre, you have to watch Bad Trip on Netflix. It is part scripted movie, part prank show. And and I know that people, I think Eric Andre is one of those comedians where like you love him or you hate him. Or you don't know who he is like me. You don't know who Eric Andre is? No, I'm sure you would recognize him. I'm super excited. I think you would recognize him, George. Yeah, he had like a um, his own show and he's just like one of those kind of goofy comedians but um Hannibal Burris worked on his show I think that's kind Love of like yeah. where a lot of people know Hannibal Burris from um yeah it's like part have you watched it Dan you gave I me watched a, a trailer like, for it and <laughs> Alex did not want to watch it I was like all right this would be it it's laugh out loud funny and like it, Tiffany Haddish is in it and she's amazing her character is so funny but it's also like it's this stupid kind of concept it is a scripted movie but then it is part just like jackass prank show like they're and there's regular people that they're just doing this insane stuff in front of and two and their reactions are so funny i have not laughed out loud in a movie like this and i watched it because amy schumer had been posting stuff about it and promoting it she's not in it but she must have been i don't know maybe she was involved maybe she wasn't she just loved it and then, of course, it's a newer movie on Netflix, so it's being pretty heavily promoted. But um, if you want to just have like however long it is, an hour and a half of just pure nonsense, laugh out loud, I I give it a very high recommendation. Oh, super excited. Is it a movie or a series? Or like... Yeah, it's a movie. <laughs> oh, movie. Okay. So it's like a two, hour, two and a half hour movie and then it's over? Yeah, or like whatever, an hour and a half or whatever it is. But it's funny. And again, I know a lot of people that don't like Eric Andre because he has a lot of like gross out humor. Um, but I think he's really funny and he's very funny in this. The, the movie is, is ridiculous. 
What's the movie called? Bad Trip. Oh, yeah. Well, I think I might have band practice. You're in a band? Yeah. The Feud. A bunch of old dudes. They saw they saw a video of me on Instagram playing an REM song, and they called me up. This is like three years ago. And, and it's awesome because they like, they write the songs or whatever. I just show up with my 335 in a particular state of mind. I had no idea you were in a, a Weekend Warrior type band. Yeah, yeah, The Feud. We got a can, gig. Can people find any of the music or no, performances no, 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 on no. YouTube? There's a video somewhere, but no, no, no. But like, in, the, in this... Challenge this, accepted. This, <laughs> yeah. uh, this show coming up, they're like, oh man, we got to play for an hour. And then the dudes were like, well, George will just do a tone poem for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're down with it. They like it. And I'll just sit there and feed back, you know, for like, yeah, I, I love it. All right. Well, that's all good. Good for everybody. That sounds great. All right. That's, that'll work. Okay, good. Wrapping it up. Wrap it up clean. Clean ending. Wrap it up clean. Well, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye, guys. The Entrepreneurship and Art Podcast is a GH Strategic Production, hosted by me, Harley Sheridan, Dan Cervantes, and George Howard. For more information and show notes, visit our website at entrepreneurshipandart.com.